Are you sure you have the real deal? Are you sure you have the real deal? I am a bit of a sucker for online ads that just pop out out of nowhere. And I saw one last month for a digitally secure wallet, credit card wallet. Uh, it's supposed to protect me from thieves that can otherwise use wireless scanners to get the details off your credit cards and then use them uh, for their own expenses. And of course, the sales blurb in this ad was brimming with great promises always. Made from the latest Space Age materials, an unbreakable pin-locking mechanism, you'll never need a wallet again. Forget the current account, you'll never need a bank account again. Just, just get this wallet now. And the sucker that I am, I said, yes, please, just take my money. And a week later, I'm holding this in my hand, brimming with disappointment. Space Age materials. Yeah, try McDonald's Happy Toy Plastic. The, this number lock, no, just a little plastic clasp that my baby daughter Talia could break through in a minute. I haven't actually tested the main feature, this wave blocking technology, but I'm not holding my breath. I have been suckered again. I got a fake pretending to be the real deal. What about love? What about love? How do we know the real deal when it comes to love? Because we live in a world where there are so many different ideas about love. Some say that love is really all about feelings, how you feel. Hence, we have that phrase, you fall into love, with the risk that you could always fall out of love again. Love is all about feelings. When you feel good about someone, that's love. And when you don't, then it's time to move on to the next prospect. Is that true love? Well, many in this world live as though it is. Love is fleeting, but just enjoy it when you can. As we come to the end of Song of Songs today, we are given a beautiful depiction of a love that is the real deal. And we've seen since the beginning of this song that this song is the song of songs, the song above all songs. A song of love between God's king and his bride. It's not just any love song. This is God's love song for us, his church. This is his word on the true nature of love as he intended it. And so over the last eight chapters, we've seen this deep, an honest longing expressed in this couple at the heart of the song. They're yearning to be one in love in their marital union. And now finally here at the end in chapter 8, we see their love flourish as husband and wife. And we see that their true love, it is defined here by companionship, by commitment, by protection, and by perseverance. Those four Mark. So let's start with that first one, companionship. Come with me to chapter 8, verse 5, and we read, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now, we've seen a form of this question before in the song at a pivotal point in the song back in chapter 3, verse 6. So let me just read it for you. There the question is, what is that coming up? from the wilderness like columns of smoke. That's back in chapter 3, verse 6. That was when the groomsmen were drawing near, signaling that the wedding 
was about to take place. But now here in chapter 8, instead of a concern for preparation, no, now the wedding being behind them, the question is not what, but who. Verse 5, who is that coming? See, the wedding has given way to a concern instead now for ongoing companionship. So who, are we told, is coming up in verse 5 from the wilderness? It is the woman leaning on her beloved. They are in each other's arms. They're as close as a man and a woman can be. As verse 5 continues, under the apple tree, I awakened you. And that word awaken, we've seen it's actually very important in the song. It's the same word that we've seen three times already in the song, in that repeated warning. Uh, If you just look back in 8 verse 4, that's the final example of it. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. But now we see here that this wise warning no longer applies in the case of this couple. Because the wedding is behind them, the vows have been made. This couple now belong to one another for life before God. So now is the time, verse 5. She can say to him, under the apple tree, I awakened you. Sex is right and good for them now. To become one flesh in the only way that truly pleases in the God-given security of lifelong marriage. And we know these verses are sexual in nature because see where verse 5 ends, where this kind of intimacy so often leads. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Sexual union being at the heart of God's design for procreation, for women to then be in labor and bear forth children. It's a beautiful picture of companionship we're given with the hope of further life coming from it. This is God's good design. It's so much better than the sin-warped views of sexuality that we do see in our world today, in uncommitted sexual relationships, going from one partner to the next, wreaking so much relational havoc, so often leading to broken hearts, to broken lives. Because you see, although companionship can be so pleasing when it is done right according to God's good design, it is also terrifyingly powerful no matter what relational context it takes place in. In sex, our bodies are making promises of lifelong faithful union, whether we intend to keep those promises or not. And so the only place where sex is safe is within marriage as God designed. As we see here, that is where loving companionship can truly flourish. But, but we are warned now that to play with this love, to fool around with it, it is to play with fire. So we come on to our second mark. True love involves commitment, fiercely powerful commitment. Uh, this woman, having now become one with her husband, she now extols him, be faithful, Be faithful to your vows. Verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. And seals, in the days of the Song of Songs, they identified the most prized possessions that you had. And they were guarded very carefully on your own person, uh, carried on a cord around your neck or on your wrist, because you'd use your personal seal to sign vital documentation to brand your precious livestock and say, that is mine. 
and not someone else's. And this woman says to her, set me as a seal upon your heart, upon your arm to her beloved. Make it clear that I belong to you and that you are mine exclusively. And why is this absolute commitment so crucial? Well, we're told, verse 6, continuing, for love is strong as death. That's strong. You see, when, when death calls, we can't resist, can we? If you're in the accident and emergency department, your heart is failing. We can't just get up there and then from the table, tell the doctors, no, I'm sorry, I'm not ready yet. Death is just going to come back another day. We have no choice. When death really calls, we answer every time. Well, her love for her beloved is as strong as the grip of death. But that is still quite mysterious, isn't it? What does it mean? Love as strong as death. Well, the rest of verse 6 helps us here. We read on. She says, jealousy is fierce as the grave. This is how her love is as strong as death. Her fierce and unyielding jealousy for her man. I know we're not used to thinking of jealousy as a good thing. When I think of the word jealousy, I think of how my kids can be jealous of one another sometimes with their toys. They, they want what's not theirs, and so they fight. But that's selfish jealousy. It's not what we have here. This is a good, healthy jealousy, wanting what is rightly ours. See how it's described in, again in verse 6. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. This jealousy like a consuming fire that is in step with the character of God. Himself, the very flame of the Lord. It's the only place in the song where God is mentioned explicitly. His righteous jealousy for what is his, which is everything. He made us, he made all, and therefore he is rightly jealous for the glory he deserves from all of his creation. And so it is with this woman, fiercely jealous for the man who is her husband, like a flame. Burning bright, verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The fire of this woman's love, jealous for her husband's affection, even if flood waters were to hit it, it would still burn. Even if another were to offer all the money, even his whole household for it, he would go away ashamed, leaving empty-handed. What a fierce commitment. Powerful flame that burns bright no matter what, but an all-consuming fire when it is messed with. I remember being told about a very painful situation by a friend who's also a pastor back in the UK, uh, my friend Chris. He was giving talks on a weekend uh, retreat away for this church, and there were many young married couples on the trip. And one evening, by chance, one of the husbands discovered his own wife in a passionate embrace with one of the other husbands on that trip. And his immediate reaction could have been described like a consuming fire. They had to work very quickly to separate him from this other guy because in his jealous rage, he was losing self-control. He was so angry. Like a raging fire, he was passionately jealous for the wife of his youth being stolen away before his very eyes. Do not play with this fire, friends. Do not mess with marriage. If you think you're growing too close to a woman 
who isn't your wife, a man who isn't your husband, deal with that danger. Now, if necessary, deal with it fiercely. Flee before people get badly burnt. If you are married but you know you're becoming distracted from a a healthy commitment, a healthy jealousy for your spouse, there's another interest on the horizon, whatever it might be, don't entertain it. Flee from it. Because, friends, few issues have hurt and haunted the health of Christ's church more than marital infidelity. Flee from it. Hold fast to your beloved, whom you swore to love, to stand by and uphold always in the good and the bad, the one who deserves your every affection. Now, we are to guard our marriages fiercely. We are to keep ourselves from playing with this fire that results from marital infidelity. And for those who are not married, though, and maybe one day, we see a very different concern here. And that is for healthy protection. True love means healthy protection. Come with me to verse 8. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. See, here the chorus sings of another party. Not the, not the, the woman or the man that we've seen in this song, but someone else. This little sister who is yet to come of age. Her, we're told her breasts are not yet formed. have got to remember, though, this is poetry. Mustn't be overly literal in how we interpret this image. The, the little sister is a poetic way of speaking of anyone who cannot rightly experience sexual intimacy in marriage at this point. So we shouldn't just be thinking of a prepubescent child, but if we are single here this morning, we're not married, and maybe we will be one day, but not this day, well then verse 8 is speaking specifically into your situation and how we all together as a church are to love and serve you. So verse 8, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? The question is asked, what to do when interested parties begin to come close? But it's too soon for marriage. It's too soon for sexual intimacy. We're not there yet. Well, we're told it depends on what this little sister is like. Verse 9, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. We're all familiar with walls, aren't we? They are built to prevent access. They are strong barriers that just will not budge no matter how hard you might happen to run into them. And I was reminded of that the hard way when we first moved into our new place, our new house, about this time last year. I was still quite unfamiliar with the layout of our new home. And Josiah, my son, was screaming at 4 a.m. in the morning. He'd had a nightmare or something like that. So I got up suddenly, jumped out of bed, and I ran straight out of our bedroom. And I ran straight for what I was certain was his bedroom door. No. Sadly, I missed that. And instead, I ran at speed, headfirst, into his bedroom wall. And here was the result. A memento to my utter stupidity. You can see that like red patch there. It's not as clear on that photo. Nice big bump on the forehead. That's a reminder to me that you, you do not run through walls. <laughs> well, this little sister is like a wall. If she's like a wall, in other words, if she will not allow interested parties too close, too soon, prevents access. If she puts up a, a healthy barrier to, her sexu- uh, to these sexual advances... Well, then we're told her brothers will praise her for it. Verse 9, we will build on her a battlement of silver. They will adorn her wise defense with the honor it deserves. But then we read on in verse 9, but 
if she is a door. You see, walls, they prevent access, but doors, they make access to a room possible, don't they? That was the trick that I forgot when I raced into Josiah's bedroom wall that night. Go for the door, not the wall. Well, if this little sister is like a door, open, very open to the sexual advances of interested parties, prone to letting others too close, too soon, well, then her faithful brothers will take steps to protect her. What will they do? We will enclose her with boards of cedar. See, they will seek to do in love what they can, in compassion what they can, to keep her from playing fast and loose with her body. Even the woman here encourages this little sister to keep herself for the right time, with the right person. See how the woman describes herself in verse 10. I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. See, she was a wall. She was wise. She kept her defenses up until the time was right. Even though she was ready physically for sexual intimacy, her her breasts grown, and yet she was still a wall. She was not a door for just any man to access. She waited until the time was right. And then verse 10, Then I was in his eyes, as one who finds peace. See, she was a wall until the right time, and then she lowers her defenses, allows herself, her naked self, to be seen. I was in his eyes. But as she did that, with the one to whom she was truly committed, her beloved husband, she was, we're told, as one who finds peace as one who finds peace, a lasting, enduring comfort, so much better than the fast and loose mentality to sex that was even promoted in her day. See how she puts it in verse 11, this contrast. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hammon. Here we have Solomon again, but not in a good light. We've already seen how the vineyard in this song is poetic code for the place of sex. And his vineyard is said to be at Baal Haman, which literally means the lord or husband of a crowd of many. And that is what Solomon was known for in his reign. He had a crowd of wives, a crowd of lovers. So many so that we're told here that he he let out the place of his sexual love to other men. Verse 10, he let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. How utterly vulgar compared to the wonderful picture of exclusive marital intimacy celebrated in this song. Renting out, Solomon renting out his harem to other men. But that's the contrast a woman wants us to draw, having known the blessing of healthy marital love. See what she sings. Verse 12, my vineyard, my very own is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit 200. See, the joy she knows in her situation is far greater than the lust-soaked practices of Solomon and his men. And she urges this little sister, be like a wall. Until the time is right, save yourself from the pain of awakening sexual desires at the wrong time of the wrong person. True love means caring protection. Looking out for one another in love in this way. And for us, living in the 21st century, 
It is an even greater concern given the prevalence of sexually illicit media and material today, easy to access anywhere, anytime, often even accidentally. Uh, one pastor once said, it is common these days for a guy to know the harem of Solomon in his mind. Feasting on image after image, woman after woman, objectified in pornography. Uh, that never brings lasting satisfaction, as so many have said, but just a continual shame and frustration that plagues real relationships for years to come. Of course, it's not just the men. This past decade has seen a significant rise in women watching porn. And yet for women, it seems that erotic literature is more of a concern. Graphical stories that play on the emotions, desires which are impossible to express healthily outside of marriage. Friends, we have a duty in love to one another where possible, like these brothers, to protect one another from sexual sin. Otherwise, hardening our hearts to God and his good will for us that is for our good. That would otherwise cause such relational trauma in the here and now. Uh, for those of you today, we know we're in the grip of habitual sexual sin right now. Can I plead with you, share that struggle? A fellow brother and sister who can pray for you, who can support you, who can keep you accountable for your good. I regularly have a few brothers who, who check in with me because they've decided to confide, to share their struggle. They realize we're all fighting sin, all of us, on various fronts. And so we can be honest with each other, with those whom we know well and trust because we are fellow sinners who have no right to judge one another as those who equally stand by nothing but the grace of God. And now those brothers are making real progress in the fight, having shared that struggle. Don't struggle alone because that is exactly what our enemy wants to keep us on our own and floundering in the fight. All of us as a church, let's be open to supporting one another in this way. And particularly if you're a parent and you have young children, well, as I've experienced, please protect them. Realize that unsupervised phones and tablets today can easily access illicit content online even when your kids aren't even trying to go there. One Christian news article put it this way, do not give your kids porn for Christmas. Don't give them unrestricted access to online, online video and chat services. Protect them. And let's be those who protect one another. Well, we come to the end of this song, and it closes on a really high note as we see this couple persevere in their love for one another. Our fourth mark and final mark, perseverance. Come with me to verse 13. O oh, you who dwell in the gardens... With companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Here we have the husband actively searching for his wife. It seems in the midst of others who are listening. Companions listening out for her voice. And he wants to make sure he finds her. He hears her voice first, not these other men. And thankfully, he doesn't have to wait long. Verse 14, she cries back to him. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. She invites him to come quickly to her, like uh, her man, like a gazelle, like a stag, determined to find her, to be with her. And she, so she invites him without hesitation to the mountain of spices, 
alluding again to their garden of love where they are one in every way. Friends, true love perseveres. It it keeps on searching out day in and day out in the midst of the trials and the distractions of everyday life. And of course, yes, this is the ideal picture. We have a couple here that are madly in love that rejoice in persevering, in finding and knowing one another. And I know that for some of us, this ideal picture can be more of a fantasy than a reality. For some of us here this morning, this picture has been tragically shattered. Perseverance in our marriage is no longer possible in the face of betrayal, in the face of painful abuse. Our marriage has been broken. And if that is you here this morning, please hear me. The concern is not that you persevere in the pain no matter what, but that you are loved and supported here no matter what. But for all of us who are married, we know it is not always a walk in the park. You know, when a a certain wife puts months of preparation into a midweek break to Bangkok and her idiot husband gets all the way to the airport before realizing he's forgotten his wallet, his permanent residency card, his means of leaving and getting back into Malaysia without issue, and his wife has to bear with that kind of terrible clumsiness. Yes, that was me and Melissa this past week. But in many more serious ways, marriage is hard. This luscious garden of love that's pictured for us here, it seems so distant at times. And maybe right now we don't feel like we're leaping over fields like a stag toward our beloveds. It's more like grinding slowly up a gloomy mountain path. We're struggling away. We're tempted to even turn around to pack it all in. How can we recapture the love of the Song of Songs for our own marriages that can feel at times anything but ideal? You see, the mistake many make is believing that the foundation for a good marriage is romance. Romance. Just keep buying the flowers. Keep going for dinner. Keep taking those breaks away. And all good things, yes. But Paul Tripp, on his terrific marriage course, What Did You Expect? And I highly recommend it. He exposes this lie that the foundation of a good marriage is romance. It is not. That's the fruit of a good marriage. There's only one healthy foundation for a good marriage in which true love, the love of the Song of Songs, can flourish, and that is true worship. To love God first in our marriages as we appreciate his true love for us all the more. You see, as we've seen before, Song of Songs, it's not just any love song, but it is the love song between God's King and us, his bride, his church. The ultimate marriage we look forward to with him, of which all other marriages are a pale reflection. We will truly love our spouse to the extent that we appreciate the love of God's King for us and are shaped by it. We're reminded in 1 John 4 in our New Testament reading, how is it that we even know love? 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We know true love not because we loved first, but because God loved us. As Jesus laid down his life, as he became the propitiation for our sins, the offering that takes away God's just anger on all of our wrongdoing deals with our every sin against him and against others so that we might escape the penalty of hell. And Jesus did that. Why? Love. Love. For us who are not worthy so that in him we can know the companionship that matters most. The very relationship that we were created to know and enjoy and find our rest in companionship with our creator again. Purchased for us entirely by the blood of his son. So if you are trusting in the blood of Christ, if he is your Lord today, you cannot be closer to God and you cannot be more pleasing in his sight than his own son who gave his life for you. And because we know the power of his love, that is what gives us the reason And the motivation to love our spouse on the good days, but specifically, especially on the bad ones. When they are anything but lovely. Because we know the love of Christ, which loved us when we were at our worst. Because we know his spirit who shapes us to show that same selfless love as hard as it is. Even on the hard days when we feel like giving up. His love strengthens us to continue burning with healthy jealousy for our beloved. You know, much like the woman in this song, Jesus' love is one of fierce commitment. He burns with jealousy for the bride he died to save, to, to present us, his church, without blemish before his heavenly father. I mean, perhaps the love we have known in our marriages was not marked by a commitment for our good. We carry the wounds today of betrayal of abuse. Take this comfort that as one bought by the blood of Jesus, he fiercely loves you. He is jealous for you. He who said it is better for a millstone to be placed around their neck than to stumble one of my little ones into sin. And because he is jealous for us, his people, he loves us even enough to protect us from ourselves at times, to discipline us as his children when we go astray, like like the brothers in this song. Christ our King shows caring protection for us, his bride, so he warns us by his word, do not deny me as the Lord who died to bring you life. But if we do, he warns us, we will know his loving discipline. Perhaps that will come in the form of a stinging rebuke from a fellow brother or sister, or it will come by experiencing the consequences of our sin in the here and now. And yet he always disciplines us for our good. As painful as it is that we might be protected for him, that we might trust and obey on him who is better by far, that we might know everlasting peace that he alone can give. So finally, Christ's love is the one that will persevere even in the face of death. Marriage, yes, is good, but it's for a lifetime. The love of Christ will persevere for all eternity. As we resolve to follow him now, whether we are single, whether we are married, whether we are widowed, whether we are divorced, we, all of us, can know his unfailing love that will never end. 
And so the only wise thing to do is to enthrone him as our king in all of our lives and especially in our relationships. And as we do that, they will be all the more overflowing with the qualities of his love. Ever faithful in companionship, in commitment, in protection, and in perseverance. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song. We thank you for the beautiful love that we see depicted in it. We thank you that we can know something of that great love today with you and in our own managers because you first loved us as you gave your son to die that we might live that we might be brought back to you and know the blessing of your rule, that our marriages might benefit from the blessing of your will. We pray that you would help us, whatever our situation today, to wisely take away and apply the lessons we have learnt over these past couple of months from this song, that we would apply them to our lives for your glory and for our good as we continue to rejoice in Christ our Lord, in whom we have the promise of eternal love, of eternal life. And we ask this for his name's sake. Amen.